You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Tanya Moore has served as a partner in IBM's talent and transformation organization, as well as a director in the global corporate headquarters of IBM Career and Skills. She has over 20 years of consulting experience in private, public, and nonprofit sectors, and is currently the Chief People Officer for MC Dean. Today, Tanya talks about how we build a culture of growth and learning, how we map the employee experience like we would a customer experience, and how we're equipping leaders with the skills they need tomorrow while continuing to support what we have today. Welcome to another episode of Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and today I'm very happy to have Tanya Moore with us. Tanya, welcome. Thanks, Ron. appreciate your having me. Yeah, I uh, when I saw... Uh, your name pop up and and uh, was looking at your profile. You have a very interesting background, and I think you're in a very interesting space. So I was really excited uh, to have a conversation with you today. Well, I appreciate it. I look forward to it. I've had um, the opportunity to really be in some interesting spaces, so I, I look forward to sharing some of that. Yeah. So so you know, look, um, we've, we've got a general idea, but tell us more about you. Who is uh, Tanya and why are you in uh, the, the, the human, the HR space as chief people officer at MC Dean? Certainly. I'm happy to. So the interesting part about work these days is you don't necessarily end up where you start. And if someone had told me that I would have ended up in HR and, and talent, I would have told you, you were crazy. But I spent my career really working with IBM. And as part of that work, I worked with many, many companies across the private sector, the public sector. And through that, got to learn a lot about uh, human resources, about talent strategies, and really about the shift that things made over time where HR became less about transactions and more really about transformation. And that was real, when I really embraced the HR profession, um, did some internal work within IBM from an HR perspective, and then ultimately um, moved from IBM to MC Dean as the chief people officer. So, so it sounds like that was an aha moment for you. Can you tell me more about that, that this, you know, this, what really, um, you know, that moment that you said, geez, you know, there's something to this culture thing. I'm, I'm really interested. I'm curious and I want to lean into it. Absolutely. And I I think um, something that's interesting here was not just an aha moment for me, but I think it was really an aha moment for the world and business. So I started my career in what we call organizational change management or organizational development, which meant anytime there was a change, me and my team were responsible for trying to get the workforce or the leaders to adopt to the change. And so there was always a little bit of a tug and war, you know, tug of war about what's important, what's not important, you know, making it a priority. And what really started to shift was the concept of change, the concept of transformation, the concept of your workforce, not just being a cost on your balance sheet, but an asset on your balance sheet really came over time as skills and career and you know, the importance of people power and brain power, even as technology advanced, became so important. 
And so it was at that time where I really recognized that the work I had been doing and kind of leading up to my whole career was becoming part of the front office agenda. So it was no longer something that we had to force people to pay attention to. It was something that CEOs, COOs, others that are leading businesses were saying, our workforce is critical. The skills of our workforce are critical. Um, and really understanding and harnessing that part of the work workforce uh, became really, really important. And all of that together was really my aha moment. That's interesting. And, you know, obviously IBM, huge organization. I don't know how many employees they would mm -hmm. have, but it's got to be hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. Right. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands. And so when you talk about skills, you know, how do you, how do you build a culture where you are really encouraging people to, to learn and grow and then supporting them in doing that? How does that happen at such a large organization? So it's, it's an interesting question, um, and it's interesting because if you had shared with me that, that IBM would have been able to shift our culture as fast as we did on this specific topic, I probably never would have believed that we could have done it. But I think, again, we're at this time right now where the stars and the moon are kind of all in alignment, where what the business needs the most, which is people to have relevant skills, and what employees want the most, which is a place where they feel invested in and they can learn and they can grow, are all of the same thing. And so because of that, this concept of growth, learning, culture has become really, really important to everybody. So at IBM, we, from an HR perspective, perspective started an agenda to really create a culture of learning and growth. And what I realize now, um, even more so, having gone through it with IBM and then helped many customers then of IBM go through it, is it's really less about the learning programs itself. So a lot of times people will think, you know, a culture of learning and growth. They automatically go to what courses do we have available? How many people are getting trained? Right. But it's really much more about the culture piece that you mentioned. Um, so thinking about things like, you know, am I, am I, I do things and learn. Am I incented to really go out and innovate? Um, am I allowed to take risks? As I do something that might not be perfect, am I given feedback? Um, am I given feedback when I do well? Am I given feedback when I not, do not as well? When I don't do as well, how is that feedback given to me? Is it given to me in a way that helps me to grow or is it given to me in a way that makes me kind of want to crawl into the, you know, a ball position and, and hide? So all of those things are really kind of the culture itself of the organization is really the foundation to create a culture of learning and growth. And then that's really the key. And then there are other building blocks that kind of go on top of that. And, and how does that look at MC Dean? Similar or following the similar playbook or, or what's it look like today? So very, very different from IBM. Um, IBM really is, if you, if you read the, you know, read the, all the business literature out there, 
leading the way in this topic. So the IBMs of the world, the Googles of the world, the Apples of the world, those are really the organizations that have set the pace for really everybody else. And in the research that I did when I was with IBM, MCDean is very similar um, in terms of how that research played out. And what the research showed was that in this space of continual learning, most companies have pieces of the puzzle. Very few companies have all of the pieces of the puzzle. And everybody is either has this as a priority now or is making this a priority. So from an MC Dean perspective, this, this whole area of continual learning and growth, we have many great things to build on, and it's definitely a priority for how we continue to do it even better. And Tony, can, can you tell me about what are in, from your perspective, you know, you talked about key pieces that some have and some are missing. What are some of those key pieces? You know, for, for those who maybe aren't there today saying, look, we need to build this out. What are some key things when you think of the the right levers to pull, the right things to put in place? Absolutely. So so thinking about um, a, a really kind of a couple things. Um, the first one is recognizing that this concept of learning and growing is not just an HR job. It's not just a job for the manager. It's not a job for the employee. It, it really starts to be everyone's job. So setting up a foundation and kind of instilling it in performance management, um, instilling it in your leaders so that leaders know that they need to lead the way and model the way, which means them, you know, continuing their learning and their growth journey themselves and actually talking about it. It's also um, doing things like modernizing the experience. Um, and when, when you normally, when we used to think about things like learning, you'd have kind of a group that would go away and shut themselves in a, in a room for several you know, weeks and come out with a learning program and then people took it. And, and now it's really more about thinking about learning what we call in the flow of the work. So how do you think about learning? And it's much more informal. Um, yes, it may be an in-person class when we're, when we're not in a pandemic. It might be a virtual class, but it might be a podcast like we're doing now. It might be a what we call learning minutes. How do you get a quick little one-minute, five-minute blurb in there? It could be reading articles on your own time. It could be trying something new. Uh, a lot of times the way people learn is just by you know, going to YouTube, going to Google and trying it out, uh, mentoring and coaching. So it's really expanding the types of learning and how organizations think about learning is a big piece. And, and then and, I think another big piece. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. And then I've got a question. I was going to say the last big piece is really around personalization and transparency. And these two concepts are super, super important. Um so if you think about when you're online looking for something, you want a really easy experience that allows you to quickly find something that's relevant to you and you're interested in. And the same thing is true of learning. So when you think about kind of an old learning management system, um, you would go and you might have to search for something and you may or may not find something of interest. And now with the lever being able to leverage technology and the use of AI, you can serve up learning in the flow of work to individuals. So what you get might be different from what I get, 
what somebody else is interested in or needs might be different from what I'm interested in needs. And that's where you really start to get the personalization of the experience, which makes it much, much more interesting to the person getting the learning. So they tend to take it more and it kind of catches on and, and you get more and more of it. Look, that's really interesting. Let me let me follow up with a question. So you say AI. So what, what does that look like visually? Like, uh, so, so if I'm an employee, how does this connect to what I'm potentially going to learn? Paint a picture for us. So if you think of an experience that we're all familiar with, like Amazon or Netflix. So let's, let's think about Netflix. And the way many companies are going that are modernizing the learning experience and really trying to make it more of an experience that's embedded in the culture, one that makes people really want to engage, invest, and kind of get them hooked, if you will, kind of like Netflix. So you log on to a learning or a, some sort of portal, and in that portal, that portal knows who you are, knows what job role you're in, knows what skills you have knows what your manager or the organization might have recommended for you. Mm. And as a result of that, serves you up something in your personal channel. So just like you've got your personal list of, on Netflix of what you've watched and right. you know, what you might be interested in, the exact same concept. And it's no longer kind of a boring, old, static, ugly list. It's got pictures and you know, you're flipping through it literally just like you would on Netflix or Amazon or something much more modern. And Tony, is that something that, that you'd have to have all the content loaded in, in, in this LMS or it's drawing from, you know, the outside of it or you know, is, it, is the technology there to do that? Technology is absolutely there to do it. So wow. the best thinking about what I said earlier in regard to kind of opening your mind about how people learn and what content you can use to learn I mean, some of the best things I learn are, you know, it's an article on Forbes or it's a Harvard Business Review. So these, these um, products that are out there and the, the technology that's out there now allows organizations to say, this is what, you know, this is what I want to learn. And it's pulling off of open source internet. It's pulling off of your LMS, if you have an LMS, and then it's also pulling off of a lot of companies have partnerships with other vendors that have, you know, other learning content. So it's being able to curate all of that into this one experience. And that's where you really start to get power. Because as an individual, I'm going and I'm actually seeing what I want. I'm seeing what I'm interested in. I'm seeing something I didn't even know I wanted, but I wanted it. <laughs> and that, yeah. that power of suggestions there too. Well, it's interesting because I, I think to my own experience and how many times I've projectile vomited my own interest to, onto someone else. You know, it's like, hey, Tanya, here, you know, I think you should read this book. And 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 there's a 50-50 chance that people put that down and collects dust versus what you're talking about is someone mm -hmm. really is on their own journey. But but you did say it could also be um massage or guided through you know, management or who, or, you know, whoever that is, this is, look, here's some things that are going to be really important if you want to grow uh, in this company, correct? Correct. And that's where this concept of transparency also comes in. So the other thing that we learned at IBM and we would share with our clients, and it's something that we're working on here at MC Dean as well, is, and this, this feels so basic, yet so many companies are missing it. And that's the concept of, transparently telling employees what's important. So some way of signaling to employees 
the roles and skills that matter. And then as a result, the experiences, whether it be on a project or a program or, you know, that type of thing, and or learning opportunities or other special opportunities that you can get along the lines of what's really important to the company. And that's where you start to mold all this together. So again, the sun and the moon start to line up, whereas what the company values starts to become more and more what the employee is aware of and then starts to value based on their interest and how they can see their own development growing. And that's when you really start to get, again, the momentum going that people want to really engage, want to learn, want to grow and recognize how it helps them and not just the company. So Ty, I'm curious, you know, at MC Dean, you know, being the cyber physical solutions space, which to me, that's got to be such a fast moving space. I mean, it, 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 you know, keeping Absolutely up, and, is. right. It's just, it, I could just visually see that this is, it's moving very fast. Um, and so how do, how do you encourage, or I don't know what the word is, what is the balance um, that employees would have to, to balance off keeping up in this fast pace because they've got to be in the whirlwind of work to, to bounce off with, okay, park some time to continue to learn. What's the strategy there and how, how does it work at MC Dean? And that's a, it's a common challenge. Um, and, and this concept of how do you carve out time is, is one that many struggle with. And what we do really well at MC Dean is on the job in the flow of work training. So the part, and that's, that's really a leading practice. The part that we are looking to add on to it, the kind of even better if, is this concept of transparency. So how do we help people understand, to your point, this is the fast-moving world of the industry that we're in, the market we're in. This is the way things are going. These are the opportunities that are out there, and this is how you can position yourself for those. So for us, it's a lot about the transparency and leveraging all of that really great on-the-job learning people are getting into more of a adding on the virtual experience as well as um, helping to really expand it with that transparency. Well, that's interesting. But Tony, can you can you also go back? I'm curious about in the flow. I, I haven't heard much about that, and and I'm sure those uh, listening would like to hear more details. Can it sounds? I think I understand the concept. I'm working on something and, and I'm in the flow of something and maybe that's where my learning connects back to it. Can you explain in the flow? Yeah, sure. Um, and it's really what you were thinking. So if you think about the old school model of how we used to think about learning, it was you need to set aside one or two days or X number of hours to go take this learning program or to go complete this learning class. And people these days, companies these days, don't generally have the luxury of being able to take someone essentially out of the workforce for X number of hours or X number of days to be able to focus only on that learning task. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but in general, there's just not that time that people or organizations can devote. In addition, the way people learn now with all of the social media and digital influences is much different. So, you know, my husband was going to do the plumbing on our sink, which scared me greatly, and he pulls up YouTube. 
so literally in the flow of his, (laughs) it was so scary. But that's how people learn. You know, I look at my son, he's learning to do something and he will literally, he was learning to figure out how to, you know, check the air pressure in his tires. He pulls up YouTube. So Tanya, that's what you're Um, talking about in in the flow. So that's really important. Right. So in the flow is like, I'm going to fix the sink. So I'm in the flow of, of trying to complete that task. And now I'm learning as I'm completing, because, you know, to your other point, and you're right, you know, most organizations, it's okay, Tanya, you're in the flow, you're in, you're deep into a project, but let's pause, let's, let's pull you away from that to go learn about something that probably doesn't connect back to what you're doing right now. Correct? Correct, which means you're not retaining it. You know, all the data shows you come back if you're not leveraging it, then, you know, you don't remember it. And again, that time is just not something that folks have to be able to to do that. So that concept of smaller chunks of information as you're doing the work um, is really a, a leading practice in terms of how people are absorbing and how people are getting more learning in on a more regular basis. Wow. You know, it's funny that 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 is so common for us in these situations like the plumbing or or putting air in the tires, whatever the, the, the other example you gave with your son, but we miss that at work. I mean, that seems so obvious to me. And yet I, I, uh, I don't think most organizations, including, um, you know, uh, organizations I've led have, have tapped into that very thing that we do on a daily basis, especially with technology at our fingertips today. That That's fascinating. And I think one thing that I've learned is if you give people some transparency, give them the tools and give them a little bit of leash, you'll be incredibly surprised with what they do. And, and one story that I just love to share was I was at a company where we had this huge career conversations campaign and the person who put together the entire portal that everyone went to for this information was a person in another country who said, I'd really love to do this. She taught herself how to do it. And that was, we got her a little help, a little coaching on the side, but that was who did it. It was a person who had never done it before for a very large organization. So I think empower people, give them the tools, let them go, and they will surprise you more often than they won't. Yeah, that's great. You know, and, and I, I'm sure even encouraging people that it's okay, you know, a culture of look, uh, you know, look it's okay to stop what you're doing and research this. This is, this is known as adding value and learn as you go. And, 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 and I also think it's funny, but and I'm curious your thoughts on this, but, but I believe that, that most people don't take advantage of YouTube and the internet when they're at work like they would at home. So if I'm going to cook something and I have no idea how to do it, I, I have no fear on going online and Googling and searching where I think when people get stuck at work, I, I believe that they don't feel as safe or as confident or comfortable doing that. What do you think? Well, and to some extent, some organizations block some of that off because right. they feel like, you know, somebody will be online playing all day or doing something. So again, I think that is the cultural piece of trust, transparency, really kind of building some of these things into the DNA of the organization And then another piece of it then is making sure that people are rewarded and recognized for their learning. So whether it's 
somebody is moving up in their career or getting a new opportunity or a new project, you know, because of something that they've learned or something that they've tried or something that they've demonstrated, or, you know, they're awarded a digital badge or, you know, there's many, many ways to reward and recognize people. And it's not, it, it even could be for having the right attributes or the right behaviors. So, hey, so-and-so tried something, it didn't work out real great, but look what they learned along the way that it's going to make us all smarter next time. So all of these little behaviors ultimately contribute to this overall culture of we're in this together, constant growth, you know, growth mindset, continual learning, um, and, and really making that the rock bed of, of your foundation of your culture. Yeah, right. And, and allowing people to feel safe even when it goes wrong. Absolutely. And I, I will tell you, one of, one of my most memorable moments um, when I was at, at IBM on this kind of topic of feeling safe when things go wrong was I remember meeting with our CHRO, Diane Gerson, and she asked me, um, for those that are familiar with experience, you measure the customer experience with something called net promoter score. So you think about when you see that online survey that says, how would you rate this on the scale of the zero to 10? There's something called the net promoter score where you can rate the experience. And I remember thinking to myself, ooh, I have to tell her that this experience is rated as a negative five that I was responsible for. And literally, she didn't blink her eye. She said, okay, what did you learn and what are you doing to, to get it higher? And all of that to me is just kind of bundled up of we were thinking about it from an experience perspective. We were measuring it. And when I had to tell her something was negative, she, again, didn't bat her eye. She what did you in. learn and what are we doing? She leaned right. in. Wow. Really, really important. And for those listening, the Net Promoter Score, the book, quote, the what is it called? The Question 2.0, I think, is the book that really explains that. And it's an excellent book for those who haven't read it. Hopefully they pay us for giving them an endorsement. Tanya, <laughs> um, I want to go into um, leadership. I know that's an important topic to you. And, sure. you know, first off, when you think of, of today and tomorrow's leader, what do you, what does leadership, what does it look like in the future? When, you know, when you think of uh, at MC Dean, you know, are you prepping or providing skills for the future leader? And if so, if it is different, what's that look like? What what are we planning for? What should we be looking for or supporting people to um, to skill up as future leaders? This is a really important topic, um, and I think it's most important because the future of leadership really is now. And what what I've learned working with companies, large and small is that many companies have really been doing leadership development the same way for 10, 15 years. And if, if you think about that, you know, you might have certain classes that you send leaders to, and you might get everybody in a room and put them into a nine box and decide who you're going to promote and who you're going to give what opportunity. You know, each company kind of has been doing things the, the same way for a long time. And what, what the leadership um, data and research has really shown us over time with some of these changes in the workforce that we've talked about is the characteristics of leaders who really succeed has changed. 
And so if you think about tying it to that concept that we just had of the environment and the culture that we need to have for a growth organization, a learning organization, the type of leaders you need are leaders that are going to coach, that are going to empower, that are going to challenge you all in a very positive way. So some, some different characteristics that come up in the leaders that we need of today, that concept of growth mindset and not just instilling it on others, but having in themselves. Um, then you kind of add some things around inclusion and, you know, really helping people to understand the concept of emotional intelligence and inclusion and psychological safety and how do we be resilient in a world that throws things our way, you know, at every moment. So it's it's really a very different approach to leadership now, and that is one that is science-based, um, behavioral-based. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of David Rock and the neuroscience of leadership. That's another really good um, tidbit and some good training there to really talk and focus on the, the behaviors and the characteristics of our leaders today and what's really working based on the environment that we're all living in. So when you say characteristics, and, and look, I, my, my, my previous business was a private security business, and it was an old industry that people were stuck in their ways. And when I made the shift of, you know, we are command and control yesterday, and tomorrow we need to be mm-hmm. servant leadership coaches and, and support agents, that was really tough. And probably back to your point on characteristics, and, and, and I don't know if you know, it was a it was a huge challenge to try to convert the current team to fr- from command control to that. That was just a really big shift, and most couldn't get there or speak that language. Ha- have you seen techniques? You know, I think back to, you know, I I I I had no guidance or coaching at the time, but you know, are you seeing that people are able to be converted? I mean, for me, it was much easier to just bring people from the outside in that were already wired or had those characteristics. What are you seeing? And are there ways that maybe strategically we can start to convert and uh, and guide people? So I think it's a mix. I think you will have some people that I've seen that just it's it's too hard and or candidly, sometimes they just don't want to. You know, they don't want to put the effort, the time into what really sometimes takes some reflection, some introspection, and then some work to to kind of build new muscles, learn new behaviors, build new muscles. But then at the same time, I think for others, it's a matter of awareness. And so understanding kind of why things have changed, how they're changed, the impact that Sometimes your words and your behaviors can have on others. I think that that sometimes a lot of, if I see people look at their assessment results of some of these science-based behavioral interviews and that's their aha. They think, oh gosh, I didn't realize that when I did that, you know, this is how my team reacted or how I made them feel, which, you know, didn't inspire anyone to greatness. So I do think it's a mix. I think if you have an organization that's trying to make a significant transformation, you may need to put some, you know, positive disruptors in there. But I don't think it's too late to change if people are willing to be aware and to work on it. Yeah, it's interesting. And I also think I would add to that, that I think back to my own experience and foundationally, I don't believe that 
Others believed it was the right path. I just don't think they agreed. They just thought, look, this is smoke and mirrors and, and unicorns and, and fairy tales. And I just don't agree with you. I just don't think they believed that that was the right way to go. Right. And I think there's also there, you know, there also used to be uh, an impression that if you were being positive, you were being nice and you weren't willing to have those hard right. conversations. Right. And I, and I think what we've learned over time is that to be able to coach someone, empower someone, challenge them to do great things that have to be built on a foundation of trust. And in order to trust someone you have to have that psychological safety. And what I have found leading teams from that perspective is I can have much harder conversations with a teammate that I trust and feel safe with than with someone that I don't trust and don't feel safe with. So being positive doesn't equate, equate to all happy talk and being nice. It just means having the right behaviors, the right attitudes to respect, to coach, to empower, and to challenge from a place of that psychological safety. Uh, and that's why I love David Rock's research so much is because it gets into the science of your brain and all of our brains and why we react more positively to some things than we, than we do to others. So I agree with you. And it's at this point where all of data is showing that you know, this stuff really does work. It might sound like cooey to some, but it really does work. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's certainly back then. You know, for me, it was it was such a um, it was such a challenge and an energy suck that and change that that you know I always talk about in today's organizations we put you know um, relentless improvement a lot of lot of language around change. And that type of leadership right into our values. So, so you know, so so it's baked into our core values. It's in our foundation, and so it mm -hmm. allows us to not only screen, onboard, and then hold folks accountable to it. So we've really kind of rearranged. I'm trying to hack the system so I don't have to drag people through the mud anymore. Yeah. What were some of the things that you found that worked, other well, than bringing you know, you know new new voices in? You know, it's interesting. I'm a different leader today than I was back then. Back then, um, it was a big challenge. You know, it really was. And most well, most were moved out. They just, and, it, and, I, and I think it was back to being in an old industry. And they said, look, Ron, I just, I understand you own the, the company, but I just don't agree with where you're headed. And we would just agree to disagree. And that was okay. And, and, and I'll go back to a point that you said, because it was probably my best tool was transparency. And I would say, look, mm -hmm. Tanya, I'm not saying I'm right, but this is where I'd like to go. And here's why I want to really, let's have a debate around it. Let's talk about it. But at the end of the day, if you don't agree, then let's find you the best way out of here when it didn't work out. Um, for, for a few of those who, um, who, who really wanted to continue on that path, I think that I wasn't equipped with the tools to get them over. I should have, I should have looked for outside help, you know, and, and I don't think I did a good enough job in that. You know, I, I think, I, I think mm -hmm. there's other expertise that I didn't have, even it was my belief system and maybe naturally I was doing some things. I think um, as the leader, I probably failed them in, in reaching out and getting external expertise and help that really could, could foster and, and, bring them through that uh, that path properly versus maybe what I was doing, which is look, it's a bit of a line in the sand. I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I was probably more talking at people and trying to convince them um, than, 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 than changing them and making, you know, 
providing, you know, education and, and et cetera, to, to build their own foundation. You know, it was, I'm just trying to flick a switch in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where this, this concept is uh, very much a part when we, when we talk about experience and, and you're, you know, in the HR space or even in the leadership space, it's not just creating something. It's how do you create an experience like we talked about, whether it's for your customers or your employees. This concept of co-creation, I have found to be a huge turning point. Um, and so if you think about kind of how I would have approached something in the past, which is this is what we're going to do. and What do you think about it? Whereas now it's, you know, I'm thinking about X, Y, Z. And why don't we think about it together? And what we find is that some of these new strategies that we have that come with enterprise design thinking and this concept of how do we co-create, you're building buy-in as you go, as opposed to buy-in after the fact. And, right, and that's right. one thing that kind of struck me with your comments, as well as the fact that I think just over time, so much more of this work in the people skills leadership space is rooted in data. Mm -hmm. which makes it a little bit easier to grasp onto as opposed to something that feels a little belief you know, fluffy. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. right. Uh, Tanya, this has been great. Is there anything else we haven't talked about that you'd like to talk about? And, and by the way, I've really loved this conversation. I, I'm, you know, I think my brain's been really humming with this education and learning inflow. I, I, I really think there's, that's, a huge opportunity for companies. Anything else we haven't talked about that you'd like to um, to speak about today? I don't think I don't think so. I think we covered quite a bit, Ron. I appreciate the opportunity. And you did talk about Halifax, Nova Scotia being heaven for those who missed that at the beginning of this podcast. Absolutely, we'll have and to come visit one day. You did say you were going to visit at some point. I have to visit on one the, day. I didn't get on the podcast. I want to get it officially so that we know that you're coming here. Uh, Tanya, Absolutely. Look, it, it truly looks heavenly. It is. It is. Well, look, thank you so much. Uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's been uh, uh, really educational for me as well. So thank you for that. I can, I always really uh, enjoy learning on the podcast and um, uh, yeah, thanks for stopping in and uh, I look forward to keeping in touch. I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks. For more information on Tanya and anything else related to scaling culture, please see the show description for details. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.